Well, I was doing a little studying this week on prayer in Scripture, and I ran across this article, and, and it said that in the Bible, in Scripture, there are 650 prayers recorded. So for the next 649, no, I, I'm just teasing you. That's a lot of prayers, isn't it? You would imagine that if, if, if prayer is important for the Christian life and reading the Bible is important for the Christian to do, you would imagine that the Bible has a, a lot of prayers in it. Now that puts me in a quandary in that I have to be selective about which, which prayers I choose to preach on. We can't focus on every prayer, although that would be profitable. But our, our time in this series, uh, we don't want it to take us two years. So I have to pick and choose. And moving forward, I kind of want to give you an outline as to where I'm headed in these next few weeks. This week we'll be in First Chronicles. I, I want to jump in the Old Testament for a while and investigate some of the prayers that are there. And then I'll jump into the New Testament to finish out this kind of mini-series within this larger series on prayer about investigating the prayers in Scripture, and we'll, we will end with a prayer in, in, in the New Testament. To be more specific, though, this week we'll be in First Chronicles 29. Next week, we will be in Psalm 3. Psalm 3, so be reading ahead. This would be a good way for you to, to prepare yourself for the sermon. Next week, we'll be in Psalm 3. The week after that, so two weeks from this Sunday, we'll be in Nehemiah 1. We'll investigate Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1. And then three weeks from today, we will jump into Acts 4, specifically verses 23 through 31. And we'll see one of the powerful prayers that the early church gave in the book of Acts in light of some persecution that we were, they were facing. So that's where we're headed. This morning's sermon is going to be regarding, I've entitled this morning's sermon, a prayer of self-denial. A prayer of self-denial. Jesus is quite clear in the passage that Brother Bob read. Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To be a Christian is to be engaged in the discipline of self-denial. It is to deny yourself the pleasures of sin. It is to deny yourself anything that leads you away from Christ. You cannot be a Christian and not be engaged in self-denial. And the same is true in our prayer lives. As Christians, one of the prayers that we need to engage in is this prayer of this type of prayer of self-denial. And what we will see in 1 Chronicles 29 is we will see David model that for us. He will show us this morning how we are to do this. And the sermon is going to be somewhat of a how-to. I want to help you to pray, to engage in prayers in which before God you deny yourself. Now, what we will see this morning, though, is that in denying ourselves in prayer, we actually do not lose. We gain. By denying ourselves, what it is that we gain is we gain God's blessings. 
we gain his grace, we gain his mercy. What we choose to forfeit is not worth holding on to. But what we gain is eternally beneficial. So we will see what Jesus says in in Luke 9. We will see this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it in prayer. But whoever loses his life... Excuse me, that was a bit confusing. Let me say that again. For For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life in prayer for my sake will save it. So we will see from 1 Chronicles 29... We will see the truth of what Jesus teaches in Luke 9 from the life of David. So that's where we're headed. And I have four points for you this morning. Four points. And and I'm not going to read the entire passage as it is quite lengthy, but I will read it as we go through each point. The first point is this. to, to, To model this in our prayer lives, both as individuals and corporately, to engage in this type of prayer, this, this prayer of self-denial, what we need to do first is we need to focus on God's greatness. We need to focus on God's greatness. So looking at the passage, beginning in verse 10, I will read through verse 13. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. To understand what's going on here, let's unpack the the context a little bit. David here is at the end of his life. David, in, in the story of Chronicles, passes away in verse 26. So David is at the end of his life, and what he is doing is he is reflecting on God's blessing and mercy to him at the end of his life. David is doing something that we do here. We, we, we contemplate our past. We reflect on God's faithfulness in the past. One of David's deepest desires as king of Israel was to build a temple for the Lord, to build a, 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 a place where the Ark of the Covenant could be permanently. This is a long-held desire that David had. Now, what did God say to that desire, though, in David's heart? He said no. Oftentimes in life, we have deep desires that God might say no to. God said no to David building this temple. But God said yes to David's son building this temple. If you read on in 2 Chronicles, specifically chapter 3, you will read about Solomon building the temple after David passes on into eternity. So God had a different plan in mind for David than the one he had in mind. But David is still thankful that the Lord is going to provide for David's son this opportunity to build the temple. And David has prepared Solomon. David is in some sense passing the mantle of, of, of the kingship of Israel 
from himself to Solomon. And David has prepared financially to pass this on. And so has all of Israel. Israel has gathered their resources together. And at this somewhat of a end-of-life celebration for David, Israel and David present to Solomon these finances, these resources for Solomon to succeed. That's the context. And David has tremendous joy. David has tremendous delight in looking in the past and seeing God's faithfulness to him. So that's the context. And if you want to investigate this a bit more, just, just read First Chronicles 28 and 29. And so David here is at the end of his life, and what does he have to say as the king of Israel in leading his people? He offers a prayer. He offers a prayer. Godly leaders need to be people of prayer. And that's what David does here. And he begins his prayer almost identically to the way that the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. I, I, I'm struck as I study this passage. I'm struck of the, of the symmetry, of the beauty, of the, of the cohesion of Scripture in teaching us how to pray. What we see in verses 10 through 13 is doesn't need a terrible amount of explanation. It's quite clear. David here is praising God. He's placing emphasis and priority in honoring God with his words and his prayer. And Jesus teaches us to do this. Jesus teaches us that in our prayer lives, what we need to do first, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Jesus and David are saying the same thing. And as we're going to see in studying these, these other prayers in Scripture, there is a consistent teaching in Scripture. And I will emphasize it every week. Hopefully it does not become too repetitive. But I want us to see the priority of God in prayer in the Old Testament, next week in Psalm 3, last week, two weeks ago in the Lord's Prayer, two weeks from today in Nehemiah 1, and three weeks from today in Acts 4. What is prayer mainly about? In our prayer lives, what do we need to be doing? We need to be mostly and mainly exalting God in our prayers, in our individual prayer lives, and corporately as a church. Focus on God in your prayer life. Focus on Him. Focus on His grace, His mercy, His magnificence. I, I, I've heard one pastor say that, uh, I heard one pastor say this. In our churches, our prayers should be so concerned with God and focused on Him that believers, excuse me, that unbelievers get very bored in church. I think that there's a lot of truth to that. When we come to gather together in our prayers, our focus needs to be on the magnificence of God. On His name, on His will, on His purposes. Church is first and foremost about God about exalting him and we need to do that in our prayer lives that's, that's the first step in, in praying this type of prayer of self-denial 
Now, David continues in verse 14. And, and I take David to be doing something different in verse 14 than he did in the previous section. And here I'm segueing to my, my second point. So the first point was focus on the greatness of God, focus on God's greatness. And the second point is this. Focus on your need. Focus on your need. One of the greatest challenges you will face, dear friend, in life. One of life's greatest hurdles to overcome, to find peace with God in this life and to follow His will, is for you to realize your dependency on God. Within all of us, we have an inbuilt self-sufficiency. But what God wants in us and all of us is to see that in life, there is no hope other than God. What, what David shows us, what we need to see to honor God, to pray this type of prayer of self-denial, is to see our total and complete need of God. We are all tempted to believe that we do not need God. But the Bible says over and over again, and experience testifies to the hopelessness of life without God. One hymn puts it this way. The name of this hymn is entitled, I Need Thee Every Hour. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. We need God every hour. Think about as you sleep, as you go to sleep at night, and how everything's working in your body as it should be. Yet we control nothing of our brain waves, of our lung function, of our heartbeat, of the blood flowing in our bodies. How is it that we are sustained and yet we give no attention or energy to these natural processes of life. How is that the case? God is sustaining us. God is upholding our bodies so that we can continue life. We need God so much. And David says this in verse 14. Who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly, for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. What David is praying here, this question of who am I, is maybe an experience that you have had. There might be times in your life whenever you are overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of God, just totally overwhelmed. And you have the thought, God, why me? Why me? You see those around you not following God. You see those around you struggling. And you struggle too. You have trials. But you have this peace in your heart. And you have this purpose in life. And so you ask to God, God, why me? Why have you chosen me? And that's what David is saying here. 
specifically with reference to him and with reference to the people of Israel. God, who am I that you would use me for these purposes? Who are these people of Israel, the smallest of nations, as it says in the Old Testament, that you would use them to build your temple? That's what David is saying here, and that's what we need to express in our prayer lives. Pastor Jesse taught us from Obadiah the importance of humility. In our prayer life, we need to be humble before the Lord. We need to ask him, God, who am I that you hear me? Who am I that I can bring my requests to you? And along with this humble nature, we also need to be aware. I'm still in my second point. We need to be aware of of this. In this life, without God, without God in the world, without the hope of Him, there is this bitter hopelessness of living. Without God, if you do not have God, if you are not a Christian, if you do not have God's mercy and grace and protection, what it is that you have is a bitter hopelessness. I get this from verse 15. David says, For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. If you look in the ESV, you'll notice that there's a footnote here. And it could this passage could also be translated, Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. David is saying that in this life without God, there's nothing but instability and insecurity. In this life, we try to accumulate for ourselves certain possessions that we think we can hold on to. But what Scripture teaches and what experience verifies is that over and over again, all of these measures of pleasure that we try to hold on to slip through our hands like water. It's like trying to hold water in your hands. All of the pleasures in life can and will be taken from you. Death will rob us of that. And in life, we are left with this this bitter hopelessness without God. And we need to realize this. And we need to tell God that this is the case. And to further explain this, I'd like to use an illustration. And and I'd like to engage my, my young theologians. My young theologians, the children. So it's been very cold, hasn't it? I woke up this morning and looked at my iPhone and it said negative 22. I didn't think it could get that cold. I didn't think it could get that cold. It's cold, right, young theologians? It's very cold. Now imagine this. Imagine if you were to put on your swimsuit, no shoes, no jacket, no pants, just your bathing suit, and you were to go outside. How would that go? Horrible. Fun. (laughs) Maybe for a second. 
It would, be, it would be dangerous. Your mom and dad would say, get back inside, quick. You could be harmed. If you go outside in those conditions, it's, it is hopeless for you. Your, 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 life, your life could be in danger. And it's this really bitter hopelessness. You can try with all your might, but you will be harmed. I take what David is saying here, this type of hopelessness, the hopelessness of life without God, is kind of like that. It's kind of like going outside in this weather with these temperatures, barefooted, with a swimsuit on. There's no hope. You won't last long. You'll be hurt. You'll be harmed. Life without God is kind of like that. In this life, if we do not have God, we have nothing. It's all passing away. And what David does is he expresses this to God. And this needs to be a part of our prayers that we recognize and we agree with God that God is all that we have. There are blessings here, yes, and we will cover that more. But without him, we have nothing. But to add a nuance here, to add a, a caveat, look at verses 16 and 17. Notice that even in this kind of prayer of, of self-denial, David still has joy. David still has joy. And in our prayers of self-denial, we need to have joy. We need to have gladness. Verse 17. I know, my God, that you test... Excuse me, verse 16. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Notice that David mentions his motive here in verse 16. For your holy name. David has this godly motive. David is telling God that David loves God. Verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure and uprightness. And the uprightness of my heart I have freely offered all these things. David here is expressing his love to God. That yes, David does have nothing in the world, but because of God's love for him, David offers up this prayer with gladness and thanksgiving. And not just him, but the people of Israel. I have freely offered all these things, verse 17. Now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Do we have anything in life? Anything of lasting security. We do not. Life is hopeless without God. But with God, we have tremendous hope. Tremendous joy. And in praying prayers of self-denial, that is not incompatible with telling God that we love Him and that we want to honor Him and that we want to serve Him. To pray a prayer of self-denial is not to pray a prayer, prayer of dread, but of joy. That's the type of self-denial we want to pray. Third point. Five more minutes and two more points to go. We need to hurry. For, uh, third point. Ask God to provide. Ask God to provide. 
To pray a prayer of self-denial is not to ask God to give you what you deserve. To pray a prayer of self-denial is not to ask God to give you what you deserve. God does not want to give you what you deserve. Yes, you need to confess that to God. Yes, you need to confess to God that you have nothing in this world. But our prayers of self-denial don't stop there. You see, God loves us. And God is generous. God wants you to realize who you are before him, and he wants you to realize that without him you have nothing. But he also wants you to realize that with him you have everything. God wants you to ask him for abundance and blessing and grace. Self-denial is not, God, I'm so terrible, don't give me anything, don't provide for me, don't bless me. That's self-hatred. That's not Christianity. That is not Scripture. That's not the attitude we want to have. Self-denial is compatible with asking God to provide. Look at me at verse 18. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. David here is asking that God would persevere the people of Israel. But David also confessed that in this world he has nothing. You should and you ought to confess those two things at the same time. Confess your inadequacy, but also ask God to fill you. Ask God to fill those around you. Do those around you, does the nation of Israel deserve this? No. But God is a God who gives us what we don't deserve. It is his heart to bless, even though we don't deserve it. And then in verse 19, David prays for his son. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all that he may build, performing, excuse me, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. As as every godly father does, David is praying for his son here. And he is asking God to bless Solomon. And in our prayers of self-denial, they are not incompatible with also asking God to provide. God wants to hear from you in both of those ways. Yes, in saying that he is ultimate. Yes, in saying that you are not but also in saying that because he loves you, that you ask him to meet your needs, to touch your heart, to bless you. God's heart is one of blessing and grace. Do you deserve it? No. But that is exactly what God wants to give you. One of the greatest understatements in all of Scripture is whenever David says in the Psalms, God does not treat us as our sins deserve. God doesn't want to treat you as your sins deserve. He wants to bless you and provide for you. Ask God for his provision. Ask God for his blessing. And now the fourth point. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the goodness of God. First point, focus on God's greatness. Second point, focus on our need 
Third point, ask God to provide. Fourth point, remember the goodness of God. Does God answer David's prayer for Solomon? Does God answer David's prayer in 1 Chronicles 29:19 for his son? Does God answer that prayer? Look at verse 23 and 25. 23 through 25. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king. And in the place of David his father, and he what did he do? He prospered. And all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and the mighty men and also all the sons of King David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And the Lord made Solomon very great in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Now we know that that Solomon's life is a bit checkered. If we read all of Scripture, we see that, that there's, more to, there's more to the story of Solomon than, than, than just what the chronicler says here. But what the chronicler says is also true. Solomon was used mightily. We're still talking about him today. God answered David's prayer for his son. God was faithful to David. Did David deny himself in praying to God? He did. But what we see with David and what we see with all of Scripture, what we see with Luke 9 is this. In praying prayers of self-denial, and you doing that, what ends up happening is you lose everything that is not worth holding on to. But what you gain is far superior to what you lose. So that in denying yourself, you actually save your life. The Lord Jesus, once again, Luke 9. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. In your prayer lives, in your prayers to God, if your prayers are constantly preoccupied with yourself, if in life what you care about most is yourself, if what, you, if what I care about most is me, and I use God as a genie, I use God as a genie to get what I want, if his glory, if his name, if his purposes are second to you, what will happen, Jesus tells us, is that you will lose your life. However, if you choose to not do that, if by the Spirit, in your life as a whole and in your prayer life, you constantly come to God with this type of reflection of self-denial, if you confess that God is ultimate, that it is he to whom all glory should go, and that he reigns and rules forever and ever. And if you confess to God your utter and complete and total need of him, 
if you confess to God the hopelessness of life apart from him, if you do that, and if you come to him and ask him for provision and ask him to help you, what will happen? Yes, you do lose your life. But Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The surest way to experience God's blessing by means of prayer is by denying yourself in prayer. In losing your life, you actually save it by means of the goodness, grace, and mercy of God. Pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for your, your kindness and your grace. We thank you, though, Lord, that although we have, we have no hope in this life, you, you, your heart is to provide us hope and grace and mercy. That although we ought to be treated as our sins deserve, that's not how you want to treat us. You want to treat us with an abundance of grace and mercy. That God, by losing ourselves in prayer, we actually find ourselves. God, I ask and pray that you would lay upon all of our hearts your magnificence, your grace and your mercy, your power and your authority. And Father, that you would lay on our minds and hearts our tremendous need and the hopelessness of life without you. God, I pray that, that that knowledge would empower us to pray to you and to ask for you to provide for us. Lord, for all of the needs of the congregation, the physical and spiritual needs, Lord. Pray that you would embolden us to come to you as our Father. That yes, we do not deserve it, but yes, also to the fact that you want us to come. And God, that we will remember your goodness and grace. That your heart is for us to bless and to sustain and to provide Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the beauty and the symmetry of Scripture. Watch over us this week. Lead us to be humble in life and in our prayer life and bring about your good and merciful work in our corporate prayer life as a church and in our, in our, in our individual prayer lives. We offer these prayers to you not because we, they deserve to be heard but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.